2: Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best
3: friends,
4: from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Alisa Benson. Hey, you know what's over? Monogamy. (laughs) About 5% of the US population is non-monogamous. And that number continues to rise. 5%, obviously not really actually a huge number, but polyamory is becoming increasingly popular in today's society. We've seen more and more glimpses of it on pop culture, which has actually, I would say, really been at the forefront of sort of exploiting for entertainment value what non-monogamous relationships look like, shows like Sister Wives, even a little bit of an open relationship situation in House of Cards you, me, her, even dating apps like OkCupid now allow you to identify if you are polyamorous or not. But what exactly is polyamory and who is living that lifestyle? Today we are going to dive right into those questions and talk to some polyamorous people. I'm Elisa Benson, this is Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour podcast, and today we are talking about polyamorous relationships. Joining me on the panel today is Cosmopolitan.com's Senior Sex and Relationships Editor and Frequent podca- Podcast podcast <laughs> guest, Allie Drucker. Hi, Allie. Hi, Elisa. I always like feel compelled to slip in that you're a frequent podcast guest. I and, love it. Yeah, and like you're really like an all-star here in Cosmo Podcast world. Oh, I thank you. All my dreams are coming true. All your dreams are coming true, as always on every episode. Um, So, Allie, you're the pro on all of these kinds of things. What are some common misconceptions about polyamory? I try to be a pro. I think there's always a lot for people to learn.
3: People define things like these a little bit differently from situation to situation. But I think the biggest misconception is that polyamory is often incorrectly conflated with just
4: having like an open relationship. I even kind of conflated that in the intro. I'm not, part of the problem. No,
3: not at all. I mean, because those all do fall under the umbrella of non, non, non-monogamy and their people are experiencing... Which, like, try like, saying that five times fast. non-monogamy. <laughs> non-monogamy, <laughs> non-monogamy <laughs> <laughs> cute. We're going to do that the entire podcast, Yes, yeah. I hope you're excited. Um, yeah, but I think what truly sets polyamory apart from just having an open relationship is the You know, emphasis on emotional connection between multiple partners, whereas an open relationship might just be more purely physical, like we're going to have sex with other people and there's one committed pairing at the center of an open relationship. With a poly grouping, there might not be just one dyad at the center of it. You could be a triad with three people who are, you know, equally committed to each other. It could be a primary couple at the center and they each have a partner that they're emotionally committed to. At the, you know, outer flanks of this. So there's a lot of groupings when it comes to poly relationships. And it's also worth noting that there are people who truly, like, consider this to be not just a style of non-monogamy, but also, like, a sexual orientation in a way. They're, like, able and really compelled to be emotionally attracted to and physically attracted to multiple people at one time.
4: And why do you think this has become so popular? You know, it does definitely seem like it's gaining popularity, becoming maybe a little bit more mainstream. Why is that? Why now?
3: My theory is like with things like this, people have like literally always been doing them or feeling that way. But it's, becoming more and more a social climate where this kind of thing is acceptable to talk about and you have people interested in learning more and the gut reaction is becoming less of less of, oh my god, Eve, that's different, weird, and like, oh, interesting, and right. like, you know, I'd like to know more about that.
4: And definitely, like, as we always say, as I always say, is like the root cause of everything in the world. It's just like <laughs> social media, like these you know, people who identify this way and who are a part of this community can talk about it openly totally. in a way and other people can discover that versus back in the day when, if you felt that way, maybe you were the only one in your tiny town in exactly. Ohio or whatever. And you'd be like a lot less inclined to like post about it
3: and share about it. So right. social media, I think, is huge.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. Someday I'm going to find an answer for for an answer to every problem that isn't social media. <laughs> but for it. now. For Until now. then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so what kind of, you know, I think your team does a lot of articles around this topic because it has become popular and because it has, is interesting and because, as you said, there's a lot of I- misinformation about it. Um, and it feels like these stories always like super blow up on the site. We've even like talked about this on the podcast one million times. What are some of the common questions you hear from Cosmo readers who are curious about polyamory? Um, I think people often want to know like
3: like, if I'm a jealous person can I do this? No. No, just (laughs) kidding. (laughs) Well, I mean like I would probably caution that like if you feel inherently jealous and you inherently feel like having a connection with an intimate partner is something that you, like, really can't share and you know you have those, like, attitudes of, like, you tend to think of your partner as, like, your property. For one, you should evaluate that on its own, but if you know you feel that way, it's probably not something that's for you
4: right 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 so yes no (laughs) the answer is no um so I think it is time for us to call up some of our poly friends and like you know ask them a few questions sure yeah let's do it our first guest today knew early in life they were polyamorous and has been in a number of setups from living with a triad to dating up to five people at the same time here to share with us their experiences today is Kestrel hey Kestrel where how are you Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. I don't know why I just weirdly was like, where are you? <laughs> but I, where are you? Where are you calling us from today? <laughs> I am in Madison, Wisconsin. Madison, Wisconsin. Okay, great. Um, so, Kestrel, tell us, first of all, to start with a little bit about your current relationship status.
0: So, currently, I'm continuously seeing one person and then dating on the side as much as I want.
4: Okay, and so how did you first learn about and realize that you were polyamorous? And is that the word you use to describe yourself?
0: Yeah, I do use the word polyamorous. Um, so I've known for longer than most people that I'm polyamorous. When I was still in high school, um, my friends and I would talk about, you know, polyamorous ideas without having that word for them. And we would, you know, talk together and think, you know, is it really an awful thing if. I was to have a romantic or sexual connection with multiple people if everyone involved was consenting and we couldn't really think of a reason why there would be something wrong with that. Um, so I started living my life that way as early as high school.
4: And so you guys were almost like a, with a you're like highly evolved, it sounds like group of high school friends, you guys were almost like mm-hmm. a little like poly think tank.
0: Yes, kind of, yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. And so, you know. Y- it's interesting to hear you say before that was even a word people knew you were kind of living that way. What were those early conversations like? Like I could imagine that would be a difficult thing. You know, it was clear in your mind, but how did you sort of bring that up to partners?
0: Yeah. So I think that a lot of people, monogamy doesn't, doesn't fill all their needs and all their desires. I think that's pretty common even for people who choose to be monogamous their whole lives. Um, people who are like serial monogamists and date one person at a time, they still have, they still feel that attraction to other people when they're with someone, Mm -hmm. um, or they, a lot of people I think experience those kind of like waxing and waning relationships. So maybe you've got a relationship that's kind of fizzling out and a new one that's kind of starting, And for monogamy rules, you would have to kind of draw a line in the sand and fit those things into boxes and, you know, tell that person, like, I don't want to see you anymore and tell this new person that I want to start seeing you. But for polyamory, you can kind of let things move the way that makes more sense. Um, So if there's a relationship that's kind of ending and one that's kind of beginning, those can kind of happen naturally without it being forced mm-hmm. um, so those were kind of a lot of our conversations where you know do I feel like me as a person can I fulfill all the needs of one other person probably not <laughs> and right. can one can one person fulfill all of my romantic and sexual needs probably not
4: although just playing devil's advocate here it is I mean, that's kind of true of any relationship. Like, my best friend doesn't, like, fill all my best friend needs, and sometimes I get really annoyed with her. And, like, you know, you're boss... Ba- oh, you yeah. know, like, relationships are sort of annoying, yeah. <laughs> fraught, yeah. I would say. I you know, so how example. do you explain that to people? Yeah.
0: I use that example of friends all the time. So a lot of people can, like, wrap their head around it that way. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people will have, like, oh, this is my friend who's my confidant if I need to talk about something and bounce ideas. And this is my friend for if I need to unwind and be goofy and silly. And, you know, like, people have different friends for, like, different roles. Sure. And I think polyamorous people kind of have different partners for different roles or I think a lot of it is about breaking down the boundaries between friends and partners as well. Like we don't need to make things fit into that like a romantic or romantic box. And I think a lot of people can relate to that too. I think a lot of people have like a best friend that they feel this like deep, almost romantic connection with but that they don't have, like, a sexual or romantic relationship with them. Right. And I think for polyamory, a lot of people, you know, those boxes don't make a whole lot of sense. And being a little more fluid and breaking those down makes more sense in people's lives.
4: Right. Right. Absolutely. So one thing before we jumped on the phone with you that Ali brought up that we hear from our readers a lot is sort of like, if I'm a naturally jealous person, like, is this Mm -hmm. kind of setup going to be hard for me? And I think... You know, maybe if you're asking that question, this isn't the right setup for you, but I would imagine that jealousy is something that really, you know, like, how do you sort of deal with that?
0: Yeah, I I think that, you know, polyamory is right for some people, monogamy is right for some people. I don't think anyone should, like, force themselves into a life that doesn't fit for them. But I think that a lot of people, even who have that concern, like, but I'm a naturally jealous person, polyamory might still be a good fit for them because mm-hmm. I think, so, poly people made up a a new word compersion and it's the opposite of jealousy so and I can use friend examples to help people understand that one too it's kind of like if someone you know if your best friend gets to go to a concert that they really want to go to and they're really excited and happy and they're gushing about it and they're telling you about it and it makes you feel good kind of that like secondhand feel good instead of like jealousy where it's that secondhand feel crappy right? you know right? so um, poly people still feel jealousy it's just that I don't think that jealousy is helpful or useful emotion for me to like dig into and give into and like you know live my life that way I feel like it's better for me to you know if I have jealous feelings kind of notice that think about where that's coming from and maybe set it to the side because I, I don't, I think living in jealousy is a very negative, difficult, uh, painful way to live. Sure. And for me, I try to refocus things on like, oh, you know, maybe my partner's having really good time with another partner, and I find ways to feel good about that. Like, oh, they really like watching anime, and I don't want, like watching anime, so I don't have to watch anime with them anymore, because they can watch it with this other partner. You right, know, and like right. finding ways to feel good and positive about Partners having um, something special with someone else. Yeah,
3: yeah it definitely like takes a, a heightened awareness of your emotions and like a real desire and ability to dig in when something's coming oh, up yeah. that feels problematic. Like, there's no like I would never like set like a blanket statement of like this kind of person can never try this, but like you need right. to go into it knowing that like it's gonna be some high level emotional thinking and you have to be prepared for it to like bring yeah. up some other stuff.
0: I think that we're taught that jealousy is like normal and natural and default, like every image we see of people dating or whatever on television or whatever it is, it's always couched in this deep jealousy. And we don't we don't have to live our lives that way.
3: Yeah, like That's it comes I from feel. this like property mentality of relationships. And you it have does. to like very much be willing to toss that aside. And even when it's like my husband, my wife, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, mm-hmm. it's like, well, like, why do we always talk like that? Like, the, it's like yeah. very much ingrained in our dialogue and our language. It's like this ability that a romantic connection with somebody in, in some way comes with this ownership of their other yeah. a- elements of their life, which is like really maybe not the best way to approach things for everyone absolutely
0: although I think it's important for people to understand the difference between envy and jealousy Mm. I think a lot of people don't know that difference so jealousy is the fear that comes from like someone's going to take something away from me Mm. and envy is like someone has something and I would like to have that too right so jealousy is like oh this new partner is going to take my partner away from me and envy is like oh this my partner got to do something really fun with someone else I wish I could have done that thing. Right. Jeal- I think that's an important distinction.
4: Right. Jealousy has that sort of connotation of like your personal relationship being threatened or your personal self being threatened versus envy, right. which is just a little more like, I want to go to that concert. Yeah, that's a really right. great distinction. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Although, I do have to also say, you know, like, sometimes, like, I don't even actually think I'm a jealous person, although I would say that. No one's really like, I'm a crazy jealous person. But you know mm-hmm. how sometimes it's like someone you went to... You know, it was like your work friend from two jobs ago that you were really good friends with but don't even actually talk to anymore on the regs. And then you're like, why wasn't I invited to her wedding? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's not even... That's totally baseless. So I do, I do think even the highly emotionally evolved among us, you know, like, I don't know. Emotions oh, yeah. are crazy. It's true.
2: Yeah.
0: I'm not <laughs> trying to say that I don't feel jealousy in my yeah. polyamorous relationships ever because, of course, I do. Yeah. But um, it's just... Trying to like find out where that's coming from, and find a different focus that's more healthy.
3: Has there ever been like a particular moment you can speak about anecdotally where you recognize these feelings coming up, and how did you deal with it with among your partners?
0: Yeah, there was a time when I was living in a triad, so me and two partners—we were all three of us were dating each other, and all three of us were living together. Mm-hmm. And um, there were times when I would feel jealous and. I, what usually sparks jealousy for me is if I have a long-term partner who finds someone new, because that new thing is always so, like, exciting and there's sparks, know. And, you know, mm-hmm. so Humans it's easy to feel jealous about. Um, So what I do if a long-term partner is seeing someone new and I'm feeling that jealousy, I'll usually sit down with them, with the long-term partner and say, like, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling a little bit jealous. Um, That's my problem. That's something that I need to work on. But I would ask that you do blank. So maybe I would ask that my partner, like, um, sets a fun date with me. And then I've got something fun to look forward to do with them. Or, you know, I try to, like, give them concrete things of, like, could you give me a little more attention on this? Or could you, you know, spend time with me doing this? And that'll help me to deal with my own jealousy and to feel better.
4: Do you feel, Kestrel, is... As the idea of polyamory, I think, has become more popular and there's a broader understanding around it, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this. Do you almost feel, like, protective about it or even, like, maybe on some level concerned that people are sort of using it in a way that doesn't really align with, like, how you feel? Like, basically, some, like, frat bro yeah. that just wants to sleep around is all of a sudden saying, like, oh, I'm polyamorous.
0: hmm I would say that for the most part, I don't feel like I have any right to be like a gatekeeper to polyamory. Sure. Like, and there's a thousand different varieties of polyamory and I'm not gonna talk down to someone for like them having a different version of polyamory than me. Right. Um, but for people who use it kind of frivolously, like your example, I would like when I hear people saying like, Oh, this relationship isn't working. Maybe we'll just open it up or things like that. Mm. I usually try to impart on that person how much emotional labor it can take to be polyamorous and Mm -hmm. that it's not really a frivolous kind of throwaway maybe I'll try this like it probably won't work if you think about it like that you have to be ready to um to be really introspective and to be articulate about how you're feeling and to ask for what your needs are and to also hear your partner when they're asking for their needs to be met you have to kind of be all in Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you have to kind of be ready to take that on.
4: And I think I think that's a good point. And Ali and I, you know, we've heard that before, you know, the sort of joke about just the like logistics of scheduling. Yeah. and all of, You know, like the, the sort mm-hmm. of like you need an excellent day planner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And some of those like logistics and I think in some ways talking about the sides of it that are almost a little like boring are sort of a reminder That this is like a lifestyle and not just something that's like glamorized by.
0: Oh, yeah, most of it's boring. Yeah. most of it is long talks about your emotions Yeah, and definitely mostly boring
4: like all relationships mostly boring but really sexy right. on TV and in movies <laughs> right right yeah. I would agree with that Um. so finally you know for someone who is so that sort of speaks to the misconceptions but for someone who's listening to this podcast and feeling really interested in this idea and you know maybe feeling like you're talking about things that they're feeling inside that they haven't really known how to explore you know what would your advice be to that?
0: Um, the internet is always the best place to go for if you're trying to learn about something new or learn about a new community. Um, I know that here in Madison, there's multiple groups that meet in person around polyamory. Um, And I would guess that most places, well, at least big cities, there's the same. So I would say that people should reach out to people in their community that are polyamorous and kind of ask them questions and dig in that way and also dig into those online communities. Because whenever there's kind of a small niche community the best way to, like, find out about them is usually the internet,
4: so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Well, Kestrel, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, and any last things you want to say that you feel like we didn't touch on that are important to your story?
0: Yeah, I think that um, polyamory is probably right for a lot of people who aren't practicing it, Mm
2: -hmm. and I think Mm -hmm.
0: that a lot of people... Um, find themselves frustrated with kind of the rules and parameters of monogamy. Um, So I would say that people absolutely should um, try to to really be introspective and talk to your partners and figure out, is there a better setup that we could have, a better way that we could set our lives up that would make us feel more fulfilled or get more of our needs met?
4: That's great advice. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you so much.
4: All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. I am so excited to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about on the podcast really quick. That is Blue Apron. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference, so it's important to know where your food comes from. For less than $10 per person per meal, or like in my case, for way less than what you would spend ordering food off the internet every day of your life, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-proportioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card, even if you're a cooking dummy like I am, and pre-proportioned ingredients and can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free, with free shipping, that's like literally free, by going to blueapron.com cosmo. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com cosmo. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Now we have on the line Dedeker Winston, a relationship coach, author of The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory, and host of the educational polyamory podcast, Multiamory, which she co-hosts with Emily Matlick and Jace Lindgren, all on the line today to give us the lowdown on the ins and outs of polyamory. Welcome, everybody. Hi, thank you. Hi. Hi. Where are you guys all? Yeah, where are you guys all calling in from?
5: Uh, I'm in Seattle right now visiting my mom while she's having knee surgery.
4: Oh, Oh. (laughs) I hope she's okay. Speedy recovery, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Uh,
2: The rest of us are in Los Angeles. Normally, we're all three of us based out of Los Angeles.
4: Okay, great. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. We've been talking all about polyamory on the podcast. Um, And first, to start with, um, Dedeker, can you explain to us how you met Emily and Jace? Uh-huh.
2: Oh, yeah. That's a that's a tale and a half. We're oh, ready. <laughs> yeah. So, so I had been in a polyamorous relationship uh, with this guy, Brad, for probably like a year and a half or two years, and um, my boyfriend, Brad, went on a date with Emily, um, and Emily was in a relationship with Jace, the two of them were living together. And so it was through my partner, Brad, dating Emily that I ended up meeting Jace and dating Jace as well. That's probably like the easiest, most simple version of the story. Right,
4: and now Brad's like out of the equation. Yes.
2: (laughs) Poor Brad. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, (laughs) his loss.
1: But eventually Dedeker and I also started dating uh, during that time. So all three of us were dating at the same time.
4: Okay. And so do you Do you consider yourself a thruple? Well,
5: no. <laughs> thruple. So first, first of all, I've never personally used that term to describe any relationship I've been in. Same. Uh, for some reason, I don't love it. But uh, it is a term people use. But no, because the three of us are actually no longer all three in a romantic relationship.
4: Okay. Uh,
5: we were... For a while like emily said um but over the course of the two and a half years since we started doing our podcast uh you know relationships have changed like you said brad is no longer in the picture and also emily is no longer romantically or sexually involved with either of us of myself and Dedeker. okay um but we've all stayed very close like emotionally very close and obviously have still done the podcast together
2: and and we still also all three of us still have multiple partners as well yeah
4: Okay. Um I want to unpack all that for a second, but sort of broadly related to that, I feel like, you know, one of the things that's been a great experience for Ali and I on today's podcast and also other episodes that we've done is all the amazing people we've talked to and how open everyone that we've spoken with in the poly community has been about sharing their experiences and talking about their relationships because there can be a lot of confusion about it. Mm-hmm. But You And you guys, you know, all host this podcast, which, as we said in the intro, is educational on purpose. But I feel like there's such an element, since this is a little outside of the mainstream for some people, an element of needing to explain it. And do you guys just find that you have to, like, explain all the time the sort of, you know, how you identify the sort of logistics of your relationship? I mean, I just imagine that must get very tiresome.
3: Uh, I mean, I wrote a book. So. <laughs> Do you just refer people to the book <laughs> whenever right. they have questions? Like, hi, I, you can purchase
4: my explanation. Now it's
2: like, yeah, yeah. Now, before people can go on a first date with me, I'm just like, here, just read this book. Right. And maybe once you get through it, then we can go on a day. Um, right. No, I mean... The reason that the podcast was born was that we found people were asking us about it all the time. You know, all the time. And it was always, you know, a good 20, 30-minute, sometimes hours-long conversation just answering all people's questions. And sometimes it would be people who are asking questions. Because uh, they really do not understand it, but they're really curious about it and excited about it. Sometimes it's people asking questions because they're very threatened by it and pissed off by it, um, right. you know. And so we found ourselves just talking about it a whole lot, and reading about it a whole lot, and researching it a whole lot. And you know, that was kind of what inspired us to start um, to start up the podcast in the first place.
4: Is there a most common question that you get, like one that you all find yourselves answering again and again and again?
2: Uh,
1: To kind of go off of that, we definitely, I get the question a lot, like, oh, is that the swinger thing or, oh, is that Mm. the polygamy thing? Um, But also people ask us, uh, what about jealousy? Don't you guys get jealous?
4: Yeah, we had a nice chat about jealousy. (laughs)
1: Yeah,
4: Mm yeah. Yeah, Um Ali, actually, it was funny because when I was asking Ali, who covers all sorts of these issues every day for Cosmopolitan.com, what are readers asking about polyamory? And she mentioned that that was a big thing that we hear from readers a lot, is asking about, don't mm-hmm. you get jealous? Or like, is, I, is this yeah. not for me if I'm a jealous person? Mm-hmm. And was that a question or a statement? i was just, I was <laughs> just talking. I love <laughs> <both>. <laughs> um, So for each of you, um, you know, how did you realize that you identified as polyamorous?
2: Oh, gosh. Well, go first. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, I mean, for me, it was something that I felt for a very long time. It was just that you know, when I was growing up, I didn't really have the context or the education to understand what it was that I was feeling. Like, Because as I grew up and as I started getting into adult relationships, um, you know, I started realizing that I'd be very happy in a relationship and very much in love with my partner, but then I would still get a crush on someone else. I would still fall in love with someone else. And for years and years and years, that would make me fall into like a horrible self-loathing depression because I thought that there was something wrong with me. You know, I thought that I was messed up because... Mm-hmm everything i've been taught up to that point you know everything that the disney movies and my church taught me didn't cover that scenario you know we kind of i very much bought into this cultural model that like if you truly are in love with someone you won't see anybody else and you will not be attracted to anybody else Um, and so for me you know i eventually got sick and tired of falling into these horrible self-loathing depressions every time i got interested in someone else who wasn't my partner Um, and I started researching open relationships, because at that time I thought that open relationships were just for people who were like sex addicts or who didn't want to commit to anybody. Um, and that's when I first stumbled across this idea of polyamory, and as soon as I read about it, it was like, it was like seeing the matrix, it was like there wasn't any going mm-hmm. back. It was like, oh my god, like this is how I felt my entire life, and this is something that I want to try. And then seven years later, here I am.
4: There you go. (laughs) Literally writing the book about it. (laughs) You already did that. (laughs) You've crossed that off your list. Um, Emily, what about Um, for you?
2: Yeah,
1: for me, uh, I tend to get pretty codependent in monogamous relationships, and I sort of put myself into this box of what I think the relationship should be. Uh, And then it, it sort of makes all of the other facets of myself fall away, and for me, polyamory has been such an eye-opening and really incredible experience because I'm able to sort of share and mold and see these different parts of myself within whomever I'm having a relationship with or whomever I'm with at the time. And uh, it allows me to sort of be a fully actualized human being and a fully realized person. And that's, um, that's been one of the most profound things about it for me. You know, I don't have to just be like, well, I'm only with you and therefore I've got to do everything... You know, that is what you want me to do or what you want me to be or what I think that you want me to be. Um, so it's it's just been uh, it's it made me grow in ways that I never thought possible.
4: I think that's a really good point. And you use the word codependence and maybe that was something you struggled mm-hmm. with in past relationships. But I think even people that don't think of themselves that way, like we all bend in relationships. It's kind of absolutely it's kind of natural. And so um, when you're with one person in a monogamous relationship, you're always Always bending for them, and I could see how having multiple partners would give you a different perspective on your identity
3: in a relationship. Yeah, you kind of have to keep holding on to more of yourself if you know you have different outlets for it.
5: Yeah, yeah for I've sure. also found that, like like you were saying, that I think we do tend to limit ourselves sometimes in relationships, or like you said, know, change ourselves for that relationship. Right. But I think that that also can be. A positive thing where I've definitely had, you know, in the past in monogamous relationships where maybe I learned about a whole new hobby or a whole new thing I like to do or a new way of communicating that I hadn't before. Right. And in polyamory, you don't have to stop learning those sorts of lessons. Like you have a lot more of those opportunities to change. Also in positive ways and grow with your partners and allow them to bring out different sides of you.
4: That's a good point. Just clarifying that sort of bending and changing in a relationship can be growth. It's not always necessarily like sacrificing a piece of yourself. Yeah, Yeah, that's a a good point. That's a good point. Um, What were your experiences like for any of you or, or maybe whoever has a story with You know, telling your family. Because part of the reason I'm asking is because, like, I'm someone that does not like to discuss any part of my (laughs) relationship or love life, you know, with my parents. But I think if you have something that's outside of the norm, especially for people of an older generation, I could imagine that would be challenging.
1: Uh, Yeah, for me, I mean, I'm very, very close with my mother, but I was uh, actually born out of an affair. My mother and father, my father was married and he and my mother had an affair and I came out of that. Um, However, for whatever reason, just I think because we're taught uh, that monogamy is sort of the way to go, when I brought up to her like, hey, I wanna do this thing and be polyamorous and I'm dating multiple people, including Jace, you know, who I was living with at the time, Um, she was very upset by the whole thing Uh, and it's it's been you know me doing this podcast and really talking about relationships and moving forward uh, that's caused her to be okay with it Um, at the time she was like well you don't have any conviction about it and I think now because I have shown all the conviction by being out (laughs) to the world uh, I think now she's very okay with it and very pleased
4: and and I would, of course, every time it's your mother, that's going to be a different <laughs> personal reaction. But yeah. I would assume that's sort of also a common, rea- you know, a common reaction, this idea of like, you don't have any conviction. Yeah, or Just a phase. Yeah. Um, yeah it was,
2: when I when I told my mother, um, I mean, it was a very difficult conversation, you know, my because, you know, I, I had spent like already a number of years being so open and out the people around me, like to the people in my peer group. But then, you know, when it came to the idea of actually talking to my mom about these things, I was just terrified. Um, and when I finally told her, you know, it was difficult and she was upset and she said to me, uh, you know, this isn't what I wanted for you, for your life. Mm. And, you know, I told her, I was like, you know, actually like the things that you want for me, like, Having someone who 's caring for me and having love and having affection and having trust and security and stability, like I actually do have those things they 're just kind of in a different package than maybe what you were envisioning um, but the big thing that that really changed her mind was when she finally actually got to meet my partners mm-hmm. and it wasn 't too long after I, I came out to her that she actually came down and visited and got to meet more than just one of my partners and I think for her, getting to actually meet the people that i 'm dating and seeing they 're not like weirdos or freaks and they're not people who are like nefariously trying to take advantage of me when they realize that oh no these are actually good people who love my daughter
4: mm-hmm. that
2: that changed her tune a little bit
4: mm-hmm. and jace what about for you
5: so uh for me i in terms of my family i had like they were all super cool about it um you know like like my brother is Monogamous and and still still is monogamous, but when I told him about it, he was like, "Oh, actually, you should check out this book." And it was Sex at Dawn, which is one of the big polyamory books out there. Uh, but he's like, "Oh, you should check this out." My girlfriend read this in a sociology class, or you know, something like that.
0: Right. Uh, <laughs> my family
5: was really supportive. I have found, however, that uh, that women who I date, their families are not always so positive to me. Mm. Um, and that this yeah, happened with Emily, like she was saying that her mom, her mom was pretty negative And a lot of that negative negativity was directed at me mm-hmm. Seeing that choice to open the relationship as it has to be something that a man is forcing on a woman because right. women don't want sex and women don't want other relationships. They just want monogamy. And, you know, those sorts of cultural conceptions that we have about, uh, you know, the things that women can and can't want for themselves. And so, of course, it had to be the man's fault that they would do this. Um, So that's kind of come up for me in a number of relationships, is that assumption from their parents.
4: Yeah, I could definitely see that.
2: Which is actually actually interesting, because statistically, the numbers show that actually women are more likely than men to ask for an open relationship.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, and like also more likely to cheat in general, a lot of research shows that too. Uh,
4: that sorry i'm just like my mind is mind blown over. my mind is blown um, so you know one of the number one piece of advice that everybody hears in any relationship like it all boils down to communication that's so important and so as soon as you factor you know it can be difficult enough to communicate with one person in your life you know how how do the communication issues how does that manifest when you're talking about multiple partners
2: Oh, goodness. I mean, I think that before going to communication, there's kind of like a step even before that. And I think that's self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, when you're, especially especially when you're heading into anything that's outside the status quo, whether that's a relationship or not, um, that it does require like a lot of self-honesty. And I think that you really have to have that foundation of self-honesty and just kind of bring that Uh, across the board to all of your relationships because it's true you know you're gonna have to be dealing with many different people's communication styles You know, people who are raised in very different ways who have very different communication habits. And so for yourself, it's learning to be fluid in that, but also just being so aware and honest with yourself about what it is that you want, what it is that you're seeking, um, you know, how it is that you've learned to communicate, how it is that you want to communicate. Um, I think that that's kind of like, because of the fact that you can't necessarily control how other people communicate or what their habits are, that it really has to be about knowing yourself Mm -hmm. intimately inside and out. So
3: I have and another communica- to add
2: to that. Oh, sorry. No, no. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Always you.
5: Go well, ahead. Well, I was just gonna. <laughs> I was just gonna say that uh, something that we have found as well is that the communication skills that you need in order to have good polyamorous relationships are the same ones that you need to have good monogamous relationships. Mm-hmm. Like to have truly good monogamous relationships. I think the difference is that. A lot of people can can kind of skate by for longer with subpar communication in monogamy mm-hmm. because there's so many assumptions behind it and because we think we all have the same roadmap even if we don't. Whereas in polyamory, it kind of forces you to improve those communication skills because it tends to crash and burn a lot faster if you don't have yeah, them.
3: You have literally no choice
4: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: so when you're in I won't use the word thruple. I don't love it either when you're in like a polytriad configuration, in terms of communicating, what situations would you be more likely to like talk to all three partners if it was a group of three all at once, and in what situations might you be more likely to talk to like a one off partner about it like are there ever kind of town hall style family meetings in
2: the- <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I will, I'll first start out and just—I kind of want to just put this on the table—that there is a common misconception, which is that all polyamorous relationships are like triads or couples or group right. relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely not. Which actually, they're actually are relatively rare, I would say. Like most people are just having, you know, like multiple one-on-one relationships rather than group ones. Mm-hmm. And I think the same rules apply. Is that, you know, if I'm involved with three people, like maybe I'm in a triad with three people romantically. Or I'm just dating someone who's also dating somebody else, and even though I'm not romantically or sexually involved with their partner, there still may be scenarios where all three of us will get together and talk about something, you know, or that maybe I'll just get together with my partner's partner to talk about things. Um, I I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm not sure about like specific scenarios. That would be good for town hall style meetings versus (laughs) one on one meetings, (laughs) Emily.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, town hall versus one-on-one. I love that. I, we, I know when uh, Brad was one. still in the picture. Yeah, exactly. When uh, when Brad was still in the picture, the four of us would get together and talk kind of as a group, even though Jace was never romantically involved with Brad. Um, it, still, it still made a difference, and it was very important. But each of these relationships are their own separate unit as well. So when Jace Dedeker and I were together, I had a relationship with Dedeker that was separate from... Jace's relationship with her and Jace's relationship with me so there's actually four relationships going on there that you need to maintain at any given time Mm -hmm. so that's um, I mean each of those need the kind of love and care that you would put into any separate even monogamous relationship so yes I mean you spend a lot more time talking about polyamory sometimes than ever having sex or doing anything else (laughs) but it's incredibly important (laughs) because that communication is so vital um, to whatever you're doing and whomever you're you know, having a relationship with.
4: Um, I have another sort of communication related question. So I've been seeing like a new guy for a few months or whatever. And I cannot tell you how many times in conversation as we've been over the few months of like getting to know each other, I've said, stop me if I already told you this or like stop me if I already told you this like boring story about like my life or whatever, you know, and that get to know you phase. But I would imagine like, I mean, and I'm probably to be fair, flakier, And have a worse memory than most people (laughs) no But, but i just would imagine like that it would be a little bit hard to negotiate that sort of like deja vu aspect of like what partner you like had a certain conversation with or like who knows what detail and i don't mean that in any like i hope that's not coming across as offensive i just mean i struggle with that enough with one person i would think that would be challenging
5: uh, I mean, <laughs> that is definitely something that comes up. Um, something that's interesting though, to make a comparison, because there's, there's two different things. There's one is the like, I don't know if I told you this already, or sometimes like, oh shit, I thought I had told you that before. Right. Like, that can happen with anyone, if you're like, sure. oh, I don't remember if I talked to my friend or if it was my partner or, or whomever, right. So like, there's certainly that risk. But then there's also the like, oh, remember you were telling me about such and such? And they're like, no, that wasn't me.
4: Right. That was, it
5: must have been somebody else. Yeah. What I found, though, is since being, since being poly uh, and with the type of partners who I tend to date now who you know do have a certain sense of self-confidence and understanding about being poly themselves, uh, there's also an understanding that goes with it. Whereas yeah. in monogamy, if I was like, Oh yeah, we were having a conversation about this thing, and they go, "No, we weren't. Who were you talking to? What what's going on here?" Uh, as opposed to in polyamory, they're like, "Oh, haha, ha, you were probably talking to Dedeker about that, or oh, you were probably talking to Emily, or who, whomever."
4: Right. So it's basically no big deal.
5: I mean, it's it's the same as same as like if it happened with your friends. yeah you know, is the, that's yeah. the analogy I usually
4: like to use yeah yeah absolutely that makes sense well thank you guys all so much Um, this was my first experience ever like interviewing three people at the same time actually uh, that was challenging
3: <laughs> enough so yeah. it might be that the yeah. two of us are potentially not a fit for polyamory however yes. it was a wonderful <laughs> exercise in communication just as interviewers <laughs> and we so appreciate you talking to us
4: and can you guys just tell well, you guys. know one more time um, where is the best place for people um, to find your podcast and to you know follow you guys if they want to?
2: Yeah, definitely. So the podcast you can find on iTunes, you can find on Stitcher, you can find on Google Play, anywhere where fine podcasts are sold. Um, You can go to multiamory.com, that's M-U-L-T-I-A-M-O-R-Y.com. If you Google Multiamory, you'll find us, you'll find us on Twitter, you'll find us on Facebook, you'll find us in all the important places. Um, For people that want to check out my book, um, they can go to Amazon and search for The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory or they can waltz on down to their local Barnes & Noble and pick up a physical copy copy. Um, is there
4: anywhere that I neglected to tell them about?
2: I think if you go to com, you'll be able to
5: find all those things too because we linked yeah. everything from there. It's
4: all there. com. Great. Um, well thank you all yeah. so much. It was such a joy to talk thank to you, you. all. Thank you. All right, bye guys. so much. Bye. 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 Thank you. So Ali, I feel like this was a super fun episode. I loved all the people we talked to. Such smarties with such interesting perspectives to share. And I felt a little bad because I know I was sort of like asking them all the same questions. They've probably been asked 1 million times over. But I just want to thank all of our guests for like responding so graciously and for understanding that this is not something everyone knows a lot about. Yeah. So many misconceptions. What did you take away from today's episode? Um.
3: You know, I think it's always really fascinating to hear people talk about, like, the mundane ways it plays into their day-to-day life, especially when it's, you know, a style of, you know, love that I'm not as familiar with personally. Right. I also like that it's, like, kind of follow your gut. Like, if you know monogamy really works for you. Right. Like, you know, and this might not be, like, your jam, but, like, if you do have a maybe jealous personality, there is still like ways to work around that if you think you might also be interested in polyamory. So there's never like a hard no, never, which is nice.
4: Right. I thought one thing that hasn't come up in any of our past podcasts that we've done that have sort of touched on this topic that Jay said that was really interesting is about how a lot of the women he dates, their parents sort of struggle with that. totally, And that totally makes sense to me. We always want to, we always, you know, the this sort of idea that like the man is the player I think and the the girl wants like romance and the white wedding dress you know I think that's a very common societal notion and I could see how for parents especially he would really um sort of face some friction there but that was interesting yeah that was um I also think it's no, you know, again, I already said I loved all the people we talked to in this episode and they were all so um, intelligent and in some ways it feels like a bit of a requirement that you do have to be introspective, well-spoken, a good communicator. Totally. Like, Like, there's obviously
3: no, like gatekeeping to this but like you do need to be in touch with what you're thinking and feeling and able to convey that to another person right, otherwise otherwise this you're just a hot mess yeah it would around. be like really emotionally stressful for you if you were yeah. feeling and thinking all of these things that you couldn't convey especially when like you have to take into account so many different people's feelings
4: absolutely absolutely um well, Ali, thank you as always for joining us. And for all the great work you do on Cosmopolitan.com. Everyone should check out your stories. I always say that. And where is the best place for people to follow you? You can get me on Twitter and Instagram at Allie, A-L-I underscore
3: Drucker, D-R-U-C-K-E-R.
4: And you guys know where to find me at Alisa Benson e-l-i-s-a benson b-e-n-s-o-n on twitter and instagram and snapchat and all the things i'm always planning new podcasts for here at cosmo happy hour so if you have any ideas let me know if there are people you want to hear ali and i grill next hit us up and as always thank you guys all so much for listening and for sharing and for rating and for liking and doing all those podcasty things i will see you guys next week bye